making money is a creative process. It's as yeah. simple as oh, that. Yeah. yeah, it's a creative process in the same way that anything else is a creative process. to another episode of Real You, Real Money. Today's guest I'm really excited about. Basically, I had a, I do these intensive sessions, which is a day-long session with people. And my guest today, Megan, signed up for one of those. And afterwards, I, well, I just had the most glorious day and felt like I, and this happens a lot in my work, but it felt particularly clear on this day where I felt like I was learning so much from being with Megan. And I knew straight away, I was like, I really want Megan to come on the podcast and share this stuff because you're, a lot of what we talked about when you were talking about your work has really stayed with me, like really stayed with me. And I just adore the way you approach what you do. And I was so excited to introduce you to people. Like I've honestly, Megan, I keep being like, there's this person called Megan and she talks about this <laughs> to my clients. And I was like, got to get Megan on the podcast so that people can access your work and, and really hear it rather than my cobbled together version how you talk about it so I'm so thankful that you were like yes Ray I'll come on the podcast so thank you for being here thank you for having me you're welcome do you want to tell people a bit about what who you are and what you do that's like the most existential question you could ever ask me (laughs) so my name is Megan Macedo I I'll tell like a tiny version of my story to explain who I am and what I do so I used to be a web designer and marketing consultant and I realized very quickly that I don't really like it, but I I was interested in like, I wanted to do my own thing. I was interested in business. I kind of figured out all that stuff. I took all the courses, all that kind of thing. And then as soon as it started working, it was like, oh, I might actually have a business here. I was like, oh man, I don't want this business. This is not for Mm -hmm. me. And then I went through like a long, dark night of the soul that lasted a number of years that I try not to quantify where I was I had like this sense of there is work that I want to do that is meaningful for me. Yeah. But I didn't know what it was. And I just kind of started writing and I just, I did a lot of email marketing and I just decided I'm going to just kind of be myself in my email marketing. I'm going to write about things that I'm interested in and questions that I'm interested in. And I was interested in self-disclosure in marketing, like rather than like portraying yourself as the expert or anything like that. Yeah. And so that gradually turned into a business where I was helping people be themselves in their marketing. And then I kind of went through that phase. And these days what I do is I would say I help people who are artists, but don't necessarily know they're artists. They don't necessarily think of themselves as artists, but I help people take an artistic approach to their work and run a business and make money all while supporting their creative process and doing the work that only they can do. So I notice a lot in the work I do, that a lot of people that consider themselves to be not necessarily artists, but artistic or creative almost presume that means they're therefore bad at business. Is that yeah. your experience? Yeah. 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 So what, in your experience, what is it about creativity and being artistic that actually means, well, is the question, I think the question is like, what parts of that are really good in business? Like, what is the alternate view to this idea that creative people are just like almost like we're not straight laced enough. We're not like mm-hmm. system systematic enough, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, what would your response to that? So my response to that could take three hours. So let me try <laughs> and find a way in. So, yes, that is also my experience. The more and so I use the language of taking an artistic approach to business and that we are all artists, because I think 
human beings are creative beings by nature. We are all artists. It's just a question of how much you're in touch with that or not. Yeah. But that language of artist, not everyone loves it. And I'm not precious about my language. I'm very much like yeah. use whatever works for you. Like yeah. some people like the term artisan or creative or like craft or like yeah. whatever whatever makes sense for you, go for it. The the more people identify with the term artist, I think the more um confidence they have in their own creative process and their own kind of creative instincts and and they mm. trust themselves in the creation of their work yeah yeah but they also tend to be the people who maybe have less of a business background and so they just assume they're not good at that and then likewise the people who identify as business people or entrepreneurs have more confidence there with the money making stuff, but also have quite a lot of like vulnerability and insecurity around, but am I actually creative? And like, is this okay? Cause it's a very, I think both of those things are very vulnerable things to do to, yeah. to say like, I'm creative and I'm an artist and my work yeah. is worth the word seeing. And also to say I'm worth getting paid for, yeah. for my work, like two very yeah. vulnerable things. And people usually have baggage around one of those things more so than the other I think a big reason why that is is because so I think in terms of the business paradigm and the art paradigm Mm -hmm. and most of us have been let's face it raised in the business paradigm like western culture is a business paradigm it's you can also think of it as the productivity paradigm the hustle Mm -hmm. paradigm grind culture all of that is is the same thing the focus is on the outcome it's it's on like what did you produce yes Whereas the art paradigm, the focus is on the process. The focus is on like, who are you? What are your creative instincts? It's the art paradigm is is aligned with nature. Yeah. And so the business paradigm gives you like kind of two options. It's like, oh, you want to be an artist? We have an archetype for that. It's called the starving artist. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you don't want to be a starving artist? Then you get to be a money addicted business person. Mm-hmm. I think that the business. Out. Yeah, you get to be a sellout, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of like, traits of addiction in the business part and just the way it's set up it's like oh it's set up to be an addiction so I think that's why a lot of people don't know that there is another way to approach it but in the art paradigm you can be a thriving artist right Mm -hmm. you can you can use your creative abilities to create the work that you want to create but also to create the support for yourself that you want to create like Mm -hmm. and and this was one of the things that I was trying to figure out whenever I came to work with you mm. was like, what is the role of money in the art paradigm and how should yeah. I think about it? And I'd gone on all of these convoluted journeys mm. and, and thought experiments of, okay, well, maybe money is this or maybe money is this or whatever. And then I did the day with you. And after that, I think you said something along the lines of, is money just uh, just a side effect of the creative process of being creative or something like that like that's interesting and I sat with that and then a few days later just kind of came to me one day and it was the most obvious thing in the world and it's always the most obvious thing in the world always it's like oh making money is a creative process it's as simple as that yeah yeah it's a creative process in the same way that anything else is a creative process yeah and so it's like okay yeah, of course. That's what everything in life is, yeah. right? We Life is the art paradigm. We live in the art paradigm. Mm. But 
whenever I kind of, I made a conscious decision a few years ago to take an artistic approach to business and work and everything and to leave the business paradigm and the productivity paradigm Mm. behind. But I've realized this year that when I did that, I left money behind in the business paradigm because it was so, it was so loaded. It was so tied into all of that stuff. And I just needed to step away from all of that. Yeah. Um, and it's only this year that I felt able to kind of like I'm firmly enough rooted in the art paradigm that I can go back over and be like, let's talk about money. And what I've discovered is, oh, money lives in the art paradigm. It's just been like bastardized in the business paradigm. Yeah. And and res- like kind of like restrained and and made into something it's not like made smaller and also bigger than it is like both things like it becomes this much weightier the only way that we measure ourselves all of those things and it it is actually and I know this is something that's said a lot in like money coaching circles but it is very much an alive thing money like it's a flowing because we talked about it being like the sea didn't we Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's a very flowing energy in lots of ways but I'm not saying that that means that that energy hasn't been used in really problematic ways like it can be used in so many different things but yeah it's been absolutely taken out creativity and it's so creative we in plenty we talk about how people are creators of money like that's one of the big things that I sort of lead them through like accessing that part for yourself so it's super interesting to me that you said that you were really fascinated by business, but also that you've had to learn to leave that that paradigm with the productivity and the kind of that side of it. So in terms of like a business that is led by creativity, can you give us an idea, like just a few examples of what that actually looks like? That's a really good question because it's like quite subtle sometimes. Mm. And if people observed and sometimes do people observe what I do and they're like, oh, this is your business model. And I'm like, no friend, I have no business model. Mm -hmm. But it's just that it looks like an approximation of that. So for me, so the way that I used to think about things in the business paradigm was like, okay, well, I'm going to run my business this way. And I thought that I had to have a model, right? I had to know like, what's your, and if you come from like the marketing world, it's like, well, what's your pyramid of products and all that kind of stuff. You got to have something at this price point and this price point and this price point. And you have to know everything in advance, right? And you know the customer journey and here's, you're going to lead people through these products and then this level and that level and that whole thing. The way that I do things now is I'm not interested in gaps in the market. I'm not interested in, this will sound terrible, but go with me. I'm not interested in what my customers want or need. I'm interested in what are my own artistic instincts? What are my, because it's like a physical primal need, I think Mm -hmm. that we have, if we tap Mm -hmm. into it, like to, to create and to express ourselves and to do this work that only we can do. Yeah. So I am guided by the spark of aliveness in my work. Mm So whatever is alive for me, whatever I'm interested in right now, like I'll follow that. And then I'll also at the same time ask like, what's ripe here? Is there anything that is like ready to show people? Is there any way that I can get paid while I'm doing this? Yes. Um, About your approach. Yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of the way that my work works is, I figure out like, this is what I want to do. And then I do kind of ask the question, well, how could I get paid while I'm doing that? And I won't necessarily get paid for the work that I do. Yeah. 
But I, so a basic example is I run a writing challenge every year. Mm -hmm. Before I started running the writing challenge, I would write, I would do like a 30 day sprint every year. I would, I would do a writing series, which I was not paid for. And then one time I realized like, oh, I can do this writing series that I'm going to do anyway. And I can also just wrap some stuff around it I can share the prompts with people I can create a group where people can do it all together I can offer some critique calls afterwards and so now I run a writing challenge every year and people are paying to take part in the writing challenge and to be supported through it and to have some time with me afterwards but the experience that I have is I get paid to write for a month I love this so much and I already know I can like hear people like on the other end of wherever they're listening to this because I think something that people struggle with is this idea that they could get paid for the process not for the finished slash perfect results like it's a thing that really keeps people stuck like when I'm doing a course I've shared this so many times but when I do a course it looks like I'm revising for my GCSEs for starters it's just spider diagrams of these are the hit points I will hit on that module these are the points I'll hit on that module then I write the sales page then I sell it like and I don't need I will write the actual thing a day day before and then the morning of the doing the thing but people often feel like they need to have recorded the course have it already like have this completed something what do you think it is because I, well, I was really struck by that when you said it I was like I absolutely love this kind of getting paid for the process thing like how did you like does it occur to you around the perfectionism or what would you speak to that piece about feeling that you've got a finished article? So I'm very aware that like everyone's process is different and some people are more planners and they like Mm -hmm. to have stuff ready in advance. I create in a very similar way to you. So I'm aware of that. And also I think that a lot of the time the urge or, or the feeling that you have to perfect something and have it completely ready to go before you can sell it is a symptom of the fact that maybe you're not doing the work that only you can do, right? So I, whenever I used to do work that was not my real work and I was like figuring it out, I I struggled with that much more. Like I had to know exactly where everything was going because I was, there was an element of the work that was a performance, right? It wasn't like, whereas these days, I am being paid to show up and be myself. Yeah. And I'm talking about stuff that I'm so deeply curious about. Yeah. That I have no problem filling the time that yeah. I, and 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 I mentioned earlier about like I notice what's ripe. So I'll only bring something that's ripe. And if it's ripe, that means like I've been down so many rabbit holes around it mm. that it's it's there. Like it's we've talked before that the art paradigm is is a birth paradigm yeah. versus the business paradigm, which is a war paradigm. Like if you look into mm. business strategy, so much yeah. of it comes from military strategy. And once I kind of realized that, I was like, oh, this explains everything. Thank God, I didn't but, know that. That's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like I, I grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And so I have a sensitivity to all that stuff. So when yeah. people would talk about like, you should read The Art of War and like all of these war related business books, I was like, there's just something in me that does not want to do yeah, that. weird that. Really strange. <laughs> but the art paradigm is a birth paradigm, right? And yeah. so I think about that so much because... What happens in birth, I remember, I don't know at what stage of pregnancy I was. I think I was quite late on with my first. And I was at this point where I was just trying to think like, how the hell is my body going to do this? Like, I'm going to get a baby out. Like, no, thank you. 
Yeah. And I watched. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That was the terror. And I watched something or read something that, and this was the first time I'd heard that, that labor begins when the baby's body sends hormonal signals to your body. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And this is what I experience in my work, right? Mm. The baby will let you know when it is ready. Mm-hmm. And when it is ready, you have no choice. Yeah. Like birth is happening. Yeah. And so I think that if you're aware of what's ripe in your work and that's what you're bringing to people, yeah. then yeah, all you need is kind of a spider diagram and then you show up and like it's it's cooked. It's there waiting for you. Yeah. You just didn't know. And I think that that's where money can be really helpful as well, because Mm. the need to make money means that you have to create a container so that the work can be born. This has been a really so interesting. This has been a realization for me since we talked, like not from our conversation, but something that's come into my own kind of awareness. So I teach part of the one of the frameworks that I teach is this creator of money thing. And it's based on the empowerment dynamic, which is I don't know if you've read it. Oh, my God, it's the weirdest book. I always say this is the weirdest book. Of, it's it's basically written in Comic Sans as the font for starters, which I know is okay. great if you've got dyslexia. But from a design point of view is an interesting choice. But anyway, he talks about this empowerment dynamic. And one of the things is you've got the drama triangle, which has oh, I'm never going to remember it now. It's like victim, perpetrator, perpetrator, rescuer. Oh, pros- oh, yeah, persecutor, rescuer. And then in the he turns that round in the empowerment dynamic. But I realised that in the drama triangle, I have in the past, and I know lots of people do, I have made the need for money a persecutor. Like, oh, my God, I have to show up and make this money and do this thing. And, like, you know, we can, we can dress that up in left-wing language as well and talk about capitalism. And I'm not saying there's not issues with capitalism, but we can make capitalism our persecutor. Or it can become the thing, and this is something my coach said to me, the thing that keeps us on the path of sharing what is our, like, important all of us work. Like the fact that we live in this system means, exactly like you say, I have to, I have to create this thing. Like, mm-hmm. I have to do this. And I can go and get a job that doesn't fit, feel like me. I say that I actually find that incredibly difficult and can't particularly. Like, I don't do well in that scenario. I know some people can do that. For me, that's actually not massively an option. But yeah, I think it's so interesting that that actually, that and you talk about this leads us on nicely to creative constraints, that money as well can be a creative constraint in that way. Like, well, I want to do this work and I need to make money. So how could that mm-hmm. look? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I didn't need to make money, my body of work would be tiny. Mm. I would have had like, I would still do the research and I would still go down the rabbit holes, but I would have just this like swirl of stuff in my head. But it's the need to make money that makes me like on average once a quarter or a bit longer than that go, all right, let's get this up. Like let's birth this baby. Let's let's see what this thing is. Yeah. Um, And so it's not just that it, it gets that particular baby out. Mm. it also lets you see what it is and it informs the work as it goes forward. So it's kind of like the whole thing is like a fractal process Mm. where you're creating like this one thing that you're selling now, but also you're creating this much larger body of work and all of these things that you create are in conversation with each other. And like, before you know it, you've got this like really fascinating family of 
all of yeah. these interactions. Yeah, I love that as well. And, you know, that the the fact that we have to make money also, and I don't know if you would do this, I think some people would do it regardless of the money, but it also keeps me sharing it. It also keeps yeah. me putting it out. Like, and I think that in itself creates more space for creativity for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I would not be. I would not be willingly sharing the work in the same way. There's, there's something about like. So one of the things that I think money does when we're taking an artistic approach to our work is, it creates. And I'm trying to find language that makes me sound like less of a wanker, but it's not coming to me. But it creates like kind of a sacred space. Yeah, like it creates psychological safety for both parties because you know I will happily like share my work and talk about all this stuff but if if I show up to like a zoom call like this and and it I'm not being paid it's just like oh we're just gonna have a chat I show up with a particular energy and you know like a generosity of spirit and all of those things but if I show up and it's a client call and someone has paid me and there's like a very specific intention for the work we're doing yeah what the what you get from me is is much more sacred it's much more I can't think of language for it other than that but it's it taps me into the highest form of my work I think there's something in the reciprocation that's happening in that moment like I think of that with um with my friend Tammy Thomas who's going to be in the podcast really soon and we talk about like when you're a big energy person and you have somebody that meets you with that energy rather than somebody that feels like intimidated by the energy, which happens for me. I don't know if you get that, but that's happened to me a number of times where someone's properly recoiled just from me showing up in a space. And I think there's something similar in that in terms of the money. Like there's this kind of like acceptance and valid val- value like of what you're showing up with and you know it's reciprocated on the other end of that space like somebody is invested in you and so it kind of gives permission and I totally hear you that it is so so very different like you say I can turn up on a call for free and yeah like it's I'm I'm not purposefully giving anything different but there is a difference knowing that I'm in a room of people who invest in me because there's that reciprocation there Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, and there's like there's an intimacy. Like yeah. I think that that is a. I think that when we are doing our artistic work, our real work, the work that only you can do, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, I think that when we're getting paid, there might be like actual stuff that people are paying for, but deep down, people are always paying for intimacy. Yeah, they want an experience of us, an experience of our work. Really, they want an experience of themselves. Yeah. And there's something about... Um, I So I thought about this before we did the day together. Mm. You sent me across a questionnaire. And I didn't know anything about you, really. A, no. a friend. Yeah. I talked to a friend about, like, oh, I'm thinking about this money stuff. I would like to talk to someone, but I can't find anyone who isn't, like, totally business paradigm. Mm. And they followed you on Instagram and recommended you. And I, I took a quick, peek, a quick peek and was like, oh... I actually like this person. Like, who knew that was possible with a money coach? Um, <laughs> but I did. I really didn't look beyond that. It was just like, yeah. all right, let's let's do a day. And then you sent a very detailed questionnaire. Yeah. 
And because I paid you money, I was like, well, I'm going to tell you everything. Yeah. And there's, and also it's weird how it works because I fully trusted that it was okay to tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Like I'm paying yeah. this person enough money mm-hmm. that it's okay to tell her everything. And yeah. she, it's safe to do that. And so there is, if we were just meeting for a, like a chat yeah. to see, are we right to work together? There's no way I would have told you what what I told you in the in the questionnaire so there's something about and and also that's what I was looking for right I was looking for someone who I could have the whole conversation with yes and if I charged less as well do you know I'm like if I charged I don't know 200 pounds for that day and you were a bit like that's a bit cheap for like a whole day I wonder if it would have felt the same if you would have felt you were paying enough probably yeah 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 it's really interesting isn't it super interesting and I I also would say like the fact that you if we'd shown up for a court like just for for a meetup to see beforehand the fact that you wouldn't have felt comfortable telling me the same amount of stuff would have meant I couldn't do my job as well yeah so it's also that thing from my end of that means I'm able to actually give somebody the best service that I can because I and because I have that background because if I'm gonna like not meet and I said to you I think on the day like these those days can be quite vulnerable especially if it's with someone like you and actually they often are where it's not often someone doesn't know me as much as you didn't but it's often that I don't know them like they Mm -hmm. might have been in my world for a while they feel like they really know me but I don't and so I can turn up and every day every time I have to be like you know what you're doing here Ray it's okay but I can't like every time but I can't do, but but because I have that information, I'm already like, I can see that join and I can see that. And I'm starting that process before I even get there. And like you say, the price is one aspect of that. It's one aspect of that meeting and that very, and for me, those days particularly are very, very creative. Because mm-hmm. you're, I'm joining things in my brain and I'm kind of like pulling at threads and that feels for me my creativity doesn't look like you know painting or the sort of like obvious things it looks like pulling thoughts together that's what yeah yeah and like that is what my experience of of it was as well it was like oh we're I'm in an artistic process here and you're like oh what about this what about this and there's callbacks to like two hours didn't you like you're noticing and you're making connections and yeah which is like a such a treat to be held in that way. Mm, yeah. And yeah. And so, you know, the money and the amount of money and all that kind of thing is part of how you create the space for yeah. that, create the yeah. container. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love, I love, I love this chat. I knew I would. I've been so excited about it. But it's just so like it just shows that we get so obsessed with how much somebody should or shouldn't be paying us that we forget to think of it as part of the whole process. I think we get so concerned about that. Sorry, you know, like you were going to say something. Well, I you've just reminded me. I was going to say that, and this is how I experienced working with you. Like, it is a kindness to let someone pay you. Like, yes, there is so much. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of years ago who was like at the beginning of setting something up. And I got to the point where I was like, just listen, I really need what you're going to do. So please just let me pay you. Like, yeah. it's it's time. I need this. Yeah. So like, I think so often we are kind of conditioned to think that 
it's always an imposition to ask someone to pay you and then everybody wants stuff for free and and it's just not true like the I do think it's a kindness to say okay here is the container that I'm going to provide and here's how much it costs and then you can comment especially women I think I don't want to be like totally gendered but especially women yeah then feel like they can come in and actually receive help and not feel like they have to do anything in response or they're not concerned about like oh are you taking care of and what can I do for you yeah, like it's yeah. just like here's the space it's just for you you can let it all out you can let it all go and I'm here to hold the yeah. space and to help you figure this stuff out totally and it, it's a clear boundary as well it's a clear like when when again this is not just true for women but it's especially true for women there can be that very much like Am I doing like because we're caring for everybody all the time and worried and like trying to like make sure everyone's okay? And it can be like, am I am I asking too much? Am I not doing enough? What am I doing here? And when you set that clear thing, like I pay my coach a lot of money, and you bet I voxer her loads. Like I am in her voxer more than I've ever been in anybody's at voxer ever because I'm like, yeah, I'm bringing that. You better be like, of course I am. And it it is that like clear like. This is the space, not just that you're allowed, because I think we're often seeking permission from a conditioning point of view, but like this is the space that's for you. Like you get to spread your whole self out here. And also I would say in terms of what you're saying about it being a kindness, it also from my point of view to know that I've charged the amount that feels good to me and to get the absolute privilege and opportunity to use that that part of my brain that until I found coaching, how did I, I couldn't. The, the closest I got to using that part of my brain and feeling that kind of like almost like well like it feels very central to me that kind of creative flow almost was writing essays at university because I did English Lit and you would connect dots mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. That, and I was like how do I make a living doing this I remember thinking that all the time no idea it was this no idea yeah and yet here we are yeah. okay so in terms of like for people that maybe don't feel they're they're tapping into that, what do you call it? Your own the work that only you can do. Yeah, or you, yeah. yeah, or your real work. But yeah, your real work. work. Like for people that don't feel like they're there yet, what would be like? What would you suggest to them to do? I think a great place to start is to do a body of work exercise. So because here's the thing: like we are artists, we are creative beings, and so. From the moment we can like even like crawl around, like it's really interesting watching it in kids, we are starting to build a body of work, mm-hmm. right? We are there are projects that we do that we're just fascinated by and captivated by. There's like little obsessions that we have. And so, you know, whenever you say a body of work or artist, people quite often think about like paintings or books or you know like sculptures like things that are regarded as oh well that's a body of work even methodologies I think like I think Mm. about from a coaching perspective I think about frameworks and methodologies and things like that when I think of it yeah yeah but I use the term body of work in the loosest possible Mm. sense so things that that are pieces in your body of work like for me personally, they include my, I call it my worms project. When I was maybe five, I was obsessed with like digging up worms in my grandparents' garden and then try and bring them inside and like 
show people and the adults would be disgusted. I mean, that's kind of what all of my work is. It's me digging up worms and being like, hey, family, look at this. So it includes stuff like that. It includes, it might include like a party that you put together that was just like, you love doing it and you gave mm-hmm. yourself to it and you curated this amazing experience for people. One of my favorite things that a client has ever put in a body of work exercise was like a, a parcel of like a few hundred acres of land in California that she stewarded for like three or four years on the side of like her actual paid work. But it was like, I was the steward of this land and that's Mm. the most significant piece of my body of work. Love it. So it could literally be anything. It might be something that you wrote, a project that you did, a community that you kind of pulled together. and And it might be like informal. It might not have been anything that was ever recognized or that you were ever paid for. Yeah. So I would encourage people to go, okay, I'm going to trace my body of work and start from as early as you can remember. Like, what were your little obsessions? Did you collect anything? Like, did you give yourself like little challenges or like little things? What did that look like? And just make a list of it right up to present day. And I don't care if you're paid for it or not, or if anybody else knew about it or not. If you do that exercise, it's almost impossible to not see some threads and connections. And this if you awesome. struggle yourself, mm-hmm. then take it to someone kind who you can like look at yes. it with them and see yeah. what connections or threads do they see. Yeah. Oh man, bring it to me. Like I, that's my ideal job. <laughs> that's so many threads. And I, that's so interesting because one of the things that happened when I first started my business is a friend of mine said to me, like, Rach was like, watching you do this. It's so funny. It's like, you've just monetized being yourself. Like it is just like, like if you showed up, if I sat next to you, like at a pub or like dinner party or whatever, you would probably have been coached in some way before I even knew what coaching was. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. like, I can, I have often been able to see like threads, like one obsession I have is celebrity trivia, which comes in. Like I, I always say this, I can name, I don't know if I still can. I used to be able to name all of Kerry Katona's children, like just random things. Can't tell you an actual history fact about anything, but I can name random celebrities, like whole relationships history and even celebrities I'm not even interested in but I see how even like that obsession when I was younger like all these different obsessions I can totally see exactly what you're talking about so I think that's probably one of the most valuable things anyone's ever said on this podcast like genuinely (laughs) like I just think that's such a good way to go about finding that I call it playing you size like doing the thing that is very much Mm -hmm. your your, or your space, I call it as well, like finding your space in it all. Yeah, and I think that's the goal. Like the goal is to be able to get paid for showing up and being yourself. Yeah. And it's more important to some people than other people. Like other people are kind of okay at like, well, I'll put on my suit and I'll leave part of myself at the door. Yeah. But I'm the kind of person who like, I want to bring all of myself everywhere all of the time. Yes. Not even that I want to, like I'm, I don't know how not to do that. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the goal. And and I think that I do a lot of story work with people as well, which is another, you know, patterns and threads mm-hmm. exercise. And I'll always have people do like a life story exercise. But I often say, I really only need to see the first couple of chapters. I really only mm. need to see like up to maybe age 12 or 14. And yeah. it's, it's all there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the same is kind of true with your body of work. Like the we're trying to get back to that, right? We we knew what we wanted to do and what we were interested in as yeah. children. And so sometimes the greatest clarity is like there. And so, yeah, you know, like 
celebrity trivia like that tells me oh well, here's someone who's like really interested in people and the relationships yes. between people and all of that stuff it makes complete sense yeah, yeah it like, shows up in everything like I'm obsessed with Grey's Anatomy and I always say to my husband I just want to watch tv shows where people have proper connections and there's real relationships to watch like it's so clear it's so clear to me I see it in so many different parts and I think mm-hmm. it's so so important and I think particularly for a lot of people and again this won't just be women it will be a lot of people who don't fit into the narrow paradigms we're given it can be painful to be asked to check parts of yourself at the door and so if you are going to when you go into this online business world or whatever it looks like and you fall into that business paradigm you're talking about it can like it will impact your ability to make money it will impact your ability to run a business that you can sustain because it's literally painful to be put into those spaces where not all of you is accepted again and again and again. So for those people, and I think our both of our like ideal clienty type people will be those people. It's so important. Yeah, yeah. I like. I think that the, and I would guess this is maybe what's well, at the heart of your work as well. I think that the real benefit of my work not that I really care because I'm only in it for myself right I'm only in it for my own like selfish interest like oh this is shiny let me go and like see what that's about but the the benefit of my work to other people is really comes down to psychosocial reciprocity Mm. which is a term that came out of Eric Erickson's work so he he was he did a lot of the seminal work around like identity formation and all that pulling it together and so psychosocial reciprocity basically means that you get to the point where your identity is developed and mature enough that you know who you are but that's not enough by itself yes psychosocial reciprocity is you then have the experience of being yourself in the world Mm -hmm. so that the world is reflecting back to you what you see in yourself yes and so you don't have this kind of separate experience anymore of like Mm -hmm. well I'm this person on the inside and this other person on the outside yeah it's this integrated experience and the like psychic energy that that kind of releases whenever you Mm -hmm. don't have to maintain those two things anymore Yeah. yeah it's kind of like I don't know it's like it's like one of those things where you only realize how heavy it was after you put it down. You're like, oh shit, man, that was really heavy. I feel yes. so much lighter now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I talk about that in terms of identity, essentially, like self-concepts, that's the word, in terms of self-concepts and how the first self-concept that you talk about in the three slash four self-concepts is I am who everyone says I am. And for some of us, when we step out of that, like for me, being I am who everyone says I am is actually feels very dangerous and very, very, very uncomfortable. That's what, and I've told this story in the podcast before, can't remember if it came up on our day where I went for Reiki and the person went, oh my God, you've got such an intimidating aura. And I was like, hi, just walked in. I don't know why you're saying that to me, but it's that thing. If I can constantly view people, view myself as other people see me, it's incredibly like, just not it's it's just a recipe for just like all sorts of awfulness and like you say when you put it down it's like oh my god I don't have to do that I don't have to do that thing of like guessing and assimilating and and doing this dance anymore I actually not only do I am I allowed to I do my best work there I make my most money there and I have my most impact in that space like yeah 
that and every yeah and everything gets simpler like it's not there's emotional labor involved right it's not always easy and it takes energy but even with like i don't even i don't even like the word marketing anymore but if you're thinking about like marketing strategy and tactics and why should i do this and which tools should i use and which platforms and all this Mm -hmm. stuff those are conversations largely for people who people in the business paradigm who mm-hmm. aren't doing the work that aren't like fully doing the work that only they can do. Because yeah. once you're like firmly rooted in the art paradigm and you're trying to follow your own instincts, mm-hmm. all that complexity falls away. It's just yeah. like, well, what, what fits my work? What do I want to yeah. do? What's what's the right thing that like serves this piece of work? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so like the simplicity of it all is is it's just worth so much I think so much so much oh my god I could do this all day but we need to finish so I have three quick fire questions that I normally ask which are going to okay. very much change like go, we're going to go from like really deep conversation to very much not deep anymore but let's start with the finish this sentence money is money is this is interesting. My friend is what has come to me. Which I oh, like. I love that. I love that. And then what's the other one? I was, oh, yeah. What book? Have you read a book recently or listened to a podcast or something that you would like? Doesn't have to be a business ebook or anything like that. So the book that I have read most recently that I have since bought for a lot of people and I'm recommending is A Ghost in the Throat by Duran Negrifa, I think is how you pronounce your name. It's amazing. It's incredible. What a title. That's yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah, highly recommend. And the audible version of it is read by Siobhan McSweeney, who is the head teacher from Derry Gardens. Oh, so that is a treat to listen so, to that. And is it, what is it like? What's it like about? It's, it's part memoir, but she's also revisiting this kind of story piece of Irish literature, this this like long form poem. It's a kind of defies genre mm. it's it's just it's amazing everyone should read it nice I will I'm it's a little bit it's a little bit depressing if you're interested in writing in any sense because you read it and you're like well okay I'll never What's be able point? to do that <laughs> <laughs> I love that <laughs> and then lastly complete change of a question if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life what would it be serious question without sounding like a stereotype I could only eat one part, one thing. I think it would be hindies and scallions, oh, okay. which was my favourite dinner as a child, which is basically mashed potato with scallions and loads of butter. The other, I think I've had a few Irish people on, specifically Northern Irish, and they've always said some kind of potato something, which and they mm. always go, oh God, it's such a stereotype. But to be fair, one of the best foods in the world. It's delicious. And we have a lot so of, you know, we've got a lot of psychic grief connected to it. So it's, it's layered for us exactly exactly it needs to be honored no I hear you like I think for me bread potatoes like yeah yeah bread and butter is is up there as well exactly vehicles for butter essentially (laughs) cool (laughs) thank you so much for being here can you tell people how they can find the best way to find me is on my website meganmacedo.com I am on Instagram but I am very, a very infrequent poster. But yeah, on my website, you can get on my mailing list. The, the main way that I communicate with the world is through my email list. So you can go on my website and get on my email list and get all, nice. all the stuff. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So people can have easy access. But thank you so much. I've adored this conversation and I'm so excited for people to hear it. 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for all your help. You're welcome. It was a joy. Thank you for being here and thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you next time.